we've just spent ages talking and we've just expended all the hello how are you banter that we could have done fruitfully on the pod yeah oh, well, okay not to rain. Yeah. start again yeah although to be honest some of that we wouldn't put on we wouldn't want to broadcast yeah. to the world would we <laughs> <laughs> Although this little bit here might make a good like before the opening music bit. Okay. Well, yeah, may- just... maybe we'll do that. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Catholic Banter Podcast. I'm still Jack Regan, as always, and I'm still Lizzie Wakeling. It's still in the middle of lockdown, isn't it? I'm still yeah, in my house. Yeah, they've announced yesterday that it's going to be extended for at least another three weeks. Although, interestingly, I have just had a trip out to the petrol station, <gasps> which is, I know, it's so exciting. So exciting. It's like a t- 10, 12 minute drive to get there because I live in the middle of nowhere. And then a little walk around the petrol station with my gloves on, trying not to touch anything, paying with my contactless card, um, with the guy behind the screen saying, yeah, scan it all yourself, mate. Um <laughs> And yep. then a drive back. It was really exciting. Wow. I what know, a life. I what a life you're living, Jack. It's yeah. just. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. How's it going for you? Yeah, good. So um, I've been finding some online training courses to do, to be honest with you. So I did a really interesting one yesterday morning on uh, young young people and mental health. Um, but provided by. Oh, hang on a minute. Let me think. Oh, wait. That was you. Um, yeah. And then. <laughs> And then um, there's a community called the Scion Community, um, and they were due to do like a weekend retreat on and uh, course on apologetics, but um, that was right at the very beginning of the lockdown. But they've been running it; um, they're running it on online now, um, you know, via via Zoom, as everybody is. Um, so I did that yesterday afternoon, and now I've got that to look forward to every day for the next ten days. So that's very cool to to try and do some CPD while I'm you know on lockdown (laughs) the internet's brilliant i mean i've spent a little bit of time recently thinking oh you know i need to get off the internet but i think i've said this a million times i've probably said this on the pod already but where would we be in the lockdown without the internet it's been brilliant ah it'd be terrible it'd be terrible it means my parents can see their little grandson every day it means i can do some work and deliver some training to people it means we can pod Uh, it's so much you can do online it's it's been fantastic it really has yeah what i really want to find though is um if anyone's got any recommendations there's an online pilates class i really feel like i need to do some kind of exercise like that so for a free one preferably because i've had a look and they're all you've got to pay subscribe and stuff for the year and i'm like i'm not up for that um but yeah so that's what i'm currently looking for is a good online exercise class to keep my core strength up to scratch <laughs> I can't believe I'm about to give this recommendation, but Jilly has a fantastic Darcy Bustle Pilates DVD, which she <gasps> swears by and thinks is absolutely brilliant. Oh, amazing. Maybe I'll see if I can find that, stream that from somewhere. Yeah, I, I'm guessing it's on Amazon, not that expensive. Yeah, but I don't, I, I really don't want to get things delivered because I feel really sorry for the delivery guys because I don't want them putting themselves at risk because I want a DVD. I feel that's quite mean. And quite selfish. Yeah, I'm pretty much keeping Amazon in business at the minute. Are you? That's yes. very naughty. <laughs> <laughs> See, I was saying this to Carl, my hubby, the other day that, um, you know, we're watching adverts on the telly for, oh, you know, don't worry, this shop's still open online. We can deliver. And I was like, do you know what? They should be putting adverts for charities on. If people want to spend money at the moment, they should be. Um, investing in decent stuff that actually needs to happen. Nobody needs anything, do they? Like, apart from food and a roof over their heads, like, you don't need And Jesus, stuff. Lizzie. And Jesus, obviously. Yeah. Obviously. Um, <laughs> sorry, felt that way with that. But the good thing about Jesus is you don't need a delivery person because he lives in our hearts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's... Oh, listeners, I wish you could have seen Jack's face then. That was the cheesiest <laughs> grin I've ever seen. It's the cheesiest comment ever made, pretty much. That's, that's what I like, went along with it. That was that was pretty much on the level of... Did you ever used to watch The Fast Show, The Two Evangelising Policemen? I didn't know. Two Evangelising was... Policemen. What they used to do was basically... that the, the sketch was these two policemen who were Christians. They used to go around trying to do police work, but actually they were trying to bring people to the Lord. So one time there's this lady in a Love hospital it. bed having been beaten up and uh, there's a sketch artist there 
and they show the woman the sketch and it's blatantly a man with a beard with long hair and she says that's not the man who beat me up and they say no madam that's jesus he's our savior <laughs> love that <laughs> I kind of just went along like that it was fantastic i loved it oh brilliant yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd just like to point out that I loved it, but I would not take that seriously as a means of evangelization. No, obviously, it's not the best time to be doing that kind of thing, is it? But um... I've got a question for you, Lizzie. I should have yes. told you beforehand that this question was coming. Ages ago, in like episode two, because I was telling you just before we started recording that last week I was listening to some old episodes, because I, I think it's like it's like a glass of wine. Occasionally you've got to just take an old vintage off the shelf and kind of give it a go but anyway um either that or lockdown's got really boring and yeah. you just run out of things to do yeah. i'll tell you what the sound editing's got so much better than back then but anyway Marvelous. um yeah i'll say back then it's like january um anyway yeah when one of the icebreakers i think it was like episode two or episode three there was a question which is what's your favorite scripture verse and you lizzie wakeling said i don't know i'll get back to you and you never did get back to us. So have you have you settled on one yet or should we part that for another episode? Do you know what? I kind of do. I mean, I did. Dis- I think I remember at the time discussing that it sort of goes with seasons. But um, I kind of came across one when I was doing the reflections for the um, Holy Week for teens. Um, and it was um, from Psalm, Psalm 27. And it's wait on the Lord, let your heart take courage um, and trust in him or something like that. And for me, that's really important at the moment to kind of like wait on the Lord. And it always has been throughout my life. Um, And it's something I've not been very good at. I'm sometimes quite impatient with the Lord and I'm kind of like, come on. Um, And he's always like, no, wait. So for me, I think actually for me, that one's quite important that to wait on the Lord and to let my heart take courage and to just really trust in him. um, Because it's it's something he's had to teach me um, quite painfully sometimes. But actually, it's a lesson that I'm really glad that I've learned. So, yeah, that's I think might be my favorite bible verse okay cool (laughs) i like it that's brilliant that's brilliant how how are your reflections going oh they were really good yeah it was really awesome um so we've we've we finished on easter sunday um how was your triduum jack what did you get up to over easter um uh we watched stuff online um we watched mass online so we watched all three liturgies from the same place which was absolutely lovely um yeah, and it was good. It was it was the first time I'd done the Easter Vigil for a while because when you've got a little baby or when your wife is pregnant and throwing up, which was the case two years ago, okay. um, you know, Easter Vigils don't really work. And actually, with little kids, Easter Vigils aren't great. So uh, no. I kind of thought Easter Vigils would be a thing I wouldn't do for a while. Mm. Um, so this year we got to do it, and it was really, really nice. Oh, lovely. That's yeah. really cool. I was... Um... I went, I went full on, I'm going to do this properly for the Easter Vigil. So I started um, streaming, had all the lights off and everything, got myself a candle, did the whole shebang. Gloria started, I run around the house just putting all the lights on, just going, oh, hallelujah, he's risen. Like I properly did it liturgically you as did, much as I could at home. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool, really cool. And then, <laughs> but I forgot that... Um, because our mass do it via Zoom so that people can participate. And so I read as well for the um, vigil. Um, I kind of forgot that I was still on the screen for other people because I just kind of main screened. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like running around the house. I'm like, woohoo, yay, it's Easter, he's risen. And like my sister's streaming from her house. And she's like, yeah, I could see you being all excitable and weird in your own house. <laughs> so I'm like... I just couldn't help it. I was happy. It's Easter. I gotta be happy and full of joy. <laughs> but yeah, so all all of my all the parishioners that were tuned in could see my crazy love for Jesus. So but that's okay. Who you know, shouldn't be ashamed of that, should I? <laughs> no, absolutely. Oh, that's brilliant. I like that. Okay, yeah. so um our topic today is quite exciting. Um this was your idea and it's a great idea, so you can introduce it. Yeah, so um we talked last episode about um, how faith and science are compatible, but I thought it would be worth extending that and kind of looking at perhaps some areas of science that are not compatible with the Catholic faith. So we can look at yeah. some particular teachings that um, would, 
You know, you know that the first Jurassic Park film. We're going way back now, nineteen ninety three. Um, and Dr. Ian Malcolm says something about scientists being so excited about whether they can do stuff that they don't actually stop and think about whether they should do stuff. So I want to talk about some recent and not so recent breakthroughs in science that allow things to happen in society that actually maybe we as Catholics shouldn't partake in or should actively um, try and oppose and try and bring people's thinking around um, to our way of thinking because of the sanctity of life and that kind of thing so that's today's episode is um, ethics and faith I guess really you could call it Definitely, yeah. So we're not, just to be clear, we're not um, knocking science. Uh, we don't disagree with the tenets and the principles of science. Faith and science are compatible. We're just taking issue with some things that science has learnt how to do and asking whether or not we should be doing them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I think a big one at the moment with coronavirus is, obviously, I think people know um, that the church teaches that it's, not okay to have an abortion unless um, the pregnancy is ectopic uh, which means that um, the baby has implanted in the fallopian tube of the mother which means that both baby and mother would die if the pregnancy went ahead Um, the church teaches that you know mum shouldn't sacrifice her life for that particular um, embryo I mean, we have to nuance that really carefully because the church, it's, it's tied up with the principle of double effect. And yeah. the principle of double effect, I'm going to get the wording wrong here. The principle of double effect, um, I know you know this, I'm just explaining it to the listeners. The principle of double effect says that you are allowed to do something which is good or morally neutral um, if something bad will result from it as an unintended consequence, providing that unintended consequence isn't out of all proportion to the action so it's not okay to have an abortion but it is okay in that instance to remove i think what they do is they remove a bit of the tube and in the process as an unintended side effect they remove the fetus actually what they do is they give an injection called methotrexate which is um oh, okay sorry <laughs> getting back to my pharmacy world here where no I no no to, this is good stuff used to live. so they actually give an injection of methotrexate which is like a cytotoxic medication they can also oh, use okay. it as like chemotherapy so it actually um attacks those rapidly growing cells so it would actually um works in that way at the same way that chemo does it it, it attacks those particular cells that are growing quickly so in this case the embryo um and that would always have to be done in a hospital um what is worrying at the moment with the coronavirus is the new policy that's just kind of snuck under the radar um that um women are able to have telephone calls with a doctor and the abortion drugs will just be posted to them. And this is not the methotrexate, this is another me- um, abortion medication that normally, uh, prior to the lockdown, would have had to be administered in hospital and the woman monitored um, and she'd had to go through particular processes to be able to get that. Um, now, when I worked in hospital, I objected to dispensing and having anything to do with this medication because for me, I couldn't actually take part in that process Mm. Um, but it is a process that does happen but I think what's really dangerous at the moment is that they're just having these telephone calls with these women um, and they're just posting it out and so they're not coping dealing with any of the emotional psychological trauma that they might be going through there's a risk of um, women who are being coerced into having an abortion because you can't have those particular conversations that you need to have with them uh, without their partner present you know if somebody's in an abusive relationship and the guy is saying no we can't have a baby you know all these kind of things yeah. um so that that for me is a bit of a worry right now um that actually society accepts this termination of pregnancies on such a wide scale that they've just kind of managed to slip into this horrendous situation where you're just like mail order abortions and it's just it's so sad and it breaks my heart you know and when I used to work in pharmacy women would come in for the morning after pill and they'd just be joking about oh I've got to kill it because I can't afford it and you know just the whole language that's used around um 
you know, they, they don't even think of it as a bunch of themselves. They think of it as yeah. a baby. And I just yeah. find that really sad that society has got to that point where um, life is just not valued. Um, sorry, I've been chatting for ages. What, no, no. Have you got any thoughts? It's a really good point. And I, I think, sadly, I'm starting to come to the conclusion with abortion that the only way we'll make people pro-life is to actually make them Christians. Um, yeah. I mean, a story I often tell, I've probably told you this before, is um, there, was, there is a religious order of women based in New York. They were started by, uh, I think, Cardinal Connor, who started, started a lot of good stuff. And they were started specifically to be a pro-life religious order, to do pro-life mm-hmm. work. And a couple of years ago, a guy from England went over to work with them because he wanted to see all this amazing pro-life work that they were doing. Mm. And he worked with them for, I don't know, let's say a couple of weeks. I don't know how long. And basically, he saw them doing missionary work. They were out on the streets trying to evangelize people. They were doing no direct pro-life work. And Mm. after a while, he said to them, look, stop. I've got got to ask. You're supposed to be a pro-life order. You're not doing any pro-life work. And these nuns said, oh, yeah, we figured it out. Um, this is the best way to do pro-life work, because if you evangelise people, they just kind of become pro-life. Yeah. Part of me is starting to think that really tackling things issue by issue by issue with a world that doesn't have the foundations in place, mm. it's something we probably should do, but it will only ever go so far. I think our our main thing needs to be evangelising. You bring people's hearts genuinely to Jesus, Um the stuff like that will just click into place. So for me, these issues are just yet more impetus to evangelise, really. Mm. Do you think it can work the other way round, though, Um, that if somebody comes to understand the beauty of life and the beauty of creation, they might then start to look at what it is that's created that life? Do you think it can work the other way round? I think it can. Um... The extent to which it does is another question. I think it can, but I don't think we should shape our missionary and pastoral work around the possibility that it might. I think that's the answer. Well, that's my opinion. Okay. Other people might disagree. The community I belong to, we had a talk from the great American preacher Randy Clark a couple of years ago. He said some amazing things that still stick with me today. One of the things he said was that there is a specific order that evangelization and discipleship generally go in. He said, but you always need to be prepared for the fact that the Holy Spirit might just flip the script and say, you know what, with this person, I'm doing it another way. Mm. I know somebody um, who was evangelized because she picked up a copy of Humanae Vitae and mm. read it and thought, wow, this makes sense. Mm. And she just decided to become a serious Catholic on the back of it. Um, um, and just remind me what Humanae Vitae, that's the document on Contrace- on artificial contraception yeah sure yeah. um 1968 pope paul the sixth um yeah. very controversial in the church but um actually i think some very very good teaching and in that document he made a lot of predictions which have now been really borne out yeah um and i think that's all part of the picture as well isn't it i mean i think you actually can't what you're saying about evangelization is really important because you actually can't pick a topic in isolation so you talk about abortion and then people go oh well you know if if you if you're pregnant and you're not ready or whatever well you shouldn't be having you know the church teaches that you should be having sex within marriage because of the teachings on on that and and it's a whole you know and not using consciousness and all you know it's everything is a bigger picture you know everything Mm. links into everything else so it is difficult to take each topic in isolation and just say yes abortion is wrong um because unless you deal with everything and all the facets around sexuality and life and um the value of human life from conception to natural death you know it's it's very hard um yeah you you have to look at it all one thing that's interesting, well, when I did um, my master's degree, um, I was at Maryvale Institute, brilliant place. They, uh, one of the things I enjoyed most there was anthropology and moral theology. And basically sure. anthropology is what it means to be a human being. Moral theology um, leads on from that. And the guy who taught us was the, the brilliant Dr. Stephen Yates. He um, really taught us in a way that made it really, really clear that actually moral theology leads on from who we are as human beings what Mm. he said was he said that when god created man god didn't just say oh i've created this thing called man 
I'd better give him some rules to keep him with his family. <laughs> I don't know. Let's say uh, no sex before marriage. Let's say don't steal things. He said, no, 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 that's not true. Every Arbitrary rules for no exactly. reason. <laughs> exactly, which everyone has encountered in their life and everybody hates. What he said was, no, um, when God created man, God said, the rules I'm going to give man are so that man can become who he and yeah. she really is. To have life and have it to the full, yeah. Yeah, and one criticism that the Second Vatican Council made is the Second Vatican Council said that Catholic moral teaching has been separated from the rest of Catholic teaching to the point where actually it's just now been seen in isolation as a list of rules. And they said that actually if you want to teach Catholic morality, you have to teach it in conjunction with the rest of Catholic theology about who God is, mm. about the fact that God made us, God loves us, and the reason why we're asked to do these things is because it helps us to become more fully who God made us to yeah. be. So, yeah, I mean, just completely backing up what you just said, we've got to link everything together. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I felt like I was going to say something when you were chatting there, but it's gone now. It's gone now, completely. Um, I've got a fun topic to introduce if you, yeah, uh, if you do, uh, go for fancy it. it. One, see, this is, a, this is an interesting thing that I always think about. Mostly because I'm a boy and I like, you know, action movies with big explosions. <laughs> okay. um, and, and also because everybody, when they think sort of moral theology and, and ethics, they always think about sex. So let's go for something which is blokey and nothing to do with sex. Nuclear weapons. Oh, OK. Right. Fine. Yeah, because that's that's a big advance of science. And that was discovered during World War Two. Um, and, you know, thank God. We discovered it before uh, Nazi Germany and Japan discovered it because um, that could have made the whole world a very, very different place today. Um, I am quite scared, you know, by the fact that nuclear weapons exist. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, my, well, someone in my family told me that when she was little and she just she found out there was such a thing as a nuclear bomb, she went to her room and cried. Oh, and I can I can really I can really see that. Um, that said, though, I having seen movies like Armageddon mm. you know that could happen big meteorites heading towards us mm. when meteorites start heading towards us you know even the the proper scientists tell us that actually we're going to need some nukes because it's really the only way we've got a chance sure. um but also even on the level of weapons I'm I would obviously prefer a world where nobody had nuclear weapons and I really hope the whole world disarms but having said that I don't like the idea of Russia and North Korea having nukes and us not having them. And I don't know whether that's the right attitude morally or not. What do you think? Feel free to disagree because a lot of people disagree with me on that. Well, I think it comes back to your original point about actually, if we evangelised the world, it would that problem would resolve itself. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. But in the short term, until we make that happen, um, I think when people have a big stick, you also need a big stick. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like um, you've got to square up to the bad guys, you know. And, and from a Christian point of view, we don't just, oh, the devil's scary. Let's just um, let him get away with whatever. We stand up and mm. we fight and we use fasting and we use yeah. prayer and we use spiritual warfare to to stand yeah, up for definitely. what's right so um i'm not saying that putin is the devil i'm just saying <laughs> <laughs> i'm just saying yeah. that but also the church teaches that um just, just in a war. just war you know that these things are acceptable to fight for what's right um i mean i don't want to get into the whole crusades thing that's a that's a whole big issue that i historically i'm not knowledgeable enough about to kind of get into but i'm aware that um well i know that the crusades is is little understood yeah um and it's one of those areas where there's a lot of misinformation yeah I mean, absolutely one, one big sticking point between us and the orthodox is what's called the sacking of constantinople mm. which is where some crusaders stopped off on the way to or from a crusade and basically just trashed constantinople mm. and you know the orthodox still haven't got over that um and actually it was a terrible thing but what people overlook is that the guys who did that had already been excommunicated by the catholic church mm. Mm. um so yeah i mean there are i know there are catholics who say 
the Crusades are pretty much a textbook definition of a just war. There are Catholics who say otherwise. I don't know enough about it no. to have a great opinion, no. I must say. But I, I know that there is a lot of misinformation, um, definitely. But, I mean, when people are suffering... So, I mean, you look at, like, the Middle East and you look at Syria and you look at all the refugees and and you just kind of think why don't we go and help you know and and it is difficult to kind of get that balance of military action versus compassion to kind of reach a, a decent conclusion you know yeah um yeah. but it again it depends who you're dealing with because if if the enemy is just going to take it out on civilians then you you kind of got to just let them be. Do you know? <laughs> it's so hard. I I don't know enough about politics um, to kind of be able to comment on all of what's going on in the world. But there is a bit of you that kind of thinks, well, we should help. We should do something because it's not right that people are treated like that in their own country. Catholic moral teaching is by no means pacifist. I mean, the interesting thing is that. Um, I've got a few friends who are just completely anti-war. When I was younger, I wanted to join the military because mm. I grew up with the military. Um, you know, I, I didn't get in. I applied to be an officer and they didn't want me. Um, <laughs> well, actually, they said uh, I went for a, a university cadetship. They said come back after university and, and apply for direct entry and you'll probably get in. Um, but I got God at university, so I, I went in a different direction. But I've got friends that are just completely anti-military and completely anti-anything violent. But the fact is... Uh, the reason why Hitler didn't kill all the Jews in the world is because we turned up with bombs and tanks and guns and stopped him. Yeah. The reason why Saddam left Kuwait is because we turned up with weapons and made him. The reason why Galtieri left the Falklands is because we turned up with weapons and made him. And actually, the reason why 800,000 to a million people died in Rwanda is because we didn't turn yeah. up with guns and stop them. Yeah. And actually, one thing that was said all the way through the 90s was, isn't it a shame there's no oil in Rwanda? Do you know what I was just about to say? That's what really sickens me, is the reason why we do it. Is it humanitarian? Evidently not. Is it for economical benefits? Yeah, probably. And I think that is the fundamental problem. I mean, I think there are genuinely wars that we do for the right reasons. I mean... Uh, the British intervention in Sierra Leone in the early 2000s, um, the Kosovo conflict, um, that I think was done for the right reasons. Um, that was interesting, actually. I was, I was, I went through, uh, I went, I went across the Danube a few months after the Kosovo conflict, and there were a load of Serbians on the barge we were on, mm. and they had to go on the barge because all the bridges in Serbia had been knocked out by NATO bombs, and it was the only way to get from one side of Serbia to the other, and we were in a British car. And I, I, I just stood in front of the number plate and didn't say anything because <laughs> I thought if they realise we're in a British car, I'm going to get beaten up here. Yeah, let's just <laughs> yeah. keep that one quiet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but there are still atrocities going on and, you know, um, genocide. Like the Rohingyas a little while ago and stuff. You know, it's um, we don't... And we're not doing a lot about them. No. And it's a shame. And it be, the problem is it becomes politicised as well. I mean, Russia... I mean, in some respects, I've got a lot of time for Russia, um, but they seem to still be in a Cold War posture where if we take a side on a certain issue, they'll just take the other side just because it's their mentality, you know, which I think we saw with Syria and a few other places. And yeah, I mean, I'm I'm in favour of a foreign policy where we basically say where where we basically intervene in things where people are suffering. I'm, I, I wouldn't be averse to no. that. No, no. As long as, like we were saying, it's done for the right reason. Yeah, we do it on a case-by-case -case basis. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah, I guess it's not top of the priorities at the moment either anyway, is it? With no, everyone no. in lockdown, you know. Yeah. That's not really science, but there you go. Well, I suppose it kind of is because we can bomb people from a large distance. Well, you started off with scientific nuclear warfare, didn't you? And, you yeah, know, drones. That's a good topic. Drones. Drones. As in, are you familiar with this? Has been a big sort of moral debate. The psychological years trauma of being a drone pilot. Is that what you're going to chat about? Well, not really, because okay. I think it's quite easy to be a drone pilot because you just sit in a box. Well, that's what they say, but actually, um, there's something about being removed from it that's quite detrimental. Um, anyway, what were you going to say? Sorry. Well, I mean, there's this whole debate around are drones ethical? Um, and I, I kind of think, OK, it's a fair debate, but 
it, they're no more or less ethical than everything we've been doing in the past. I mean, actually, what it means is that a guy sitting in a, a box in Nevada can now kill people in, you know, Iraq or Afghanistan or wherever. Actually, I think because of the accuracy of it, it's actually more ethical because you're you're probably going to yeah. take out the target you want to take out rather than yeah. innocent bystanders. Well, absolutely. I mean, but warfare throughout the history of warfare, it's got further away. I mean, first of all, we you know we started killing people with our fists. Then we went to clubs. Then we went to spears. Then we started throwing stones. Then we developed artillery so we could do it from half a mile away. Then we developed planes so we could do it from even further away. Then we developed smart bombs. Then we developed jets. Are we chickens? <laughs> Are we just genuinely? We're just trying to get further and further. I want to hurt you, but from far away. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that's always stuck with me about warfare. When I was younger, I was a, an air cadet. Um, I was in the air training corps. And we were mm-hmm. given a tour of something called a multi-launch rocket system. And this was 1994 um, in down in the West Country when I was learning to be a glider pilot. And um, these multi-launch rocket systems, they're basically trucks. And what they do is the back lifts up and then they fire these weapons. And these weapons separate out and explode all over the place. And each one of these can take out an entire grid square on a map. Each one of these can take out a square kilometre. At the end of the Gulf War, the Americans lined 80 of these up in a row and just fired them at the Iraqis because they didn't want to engage them man for man because they didn't want to lose people. Which And I, I heard that and I just thought, wow, that is just so unethical because That's a great deal of those guys, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not being anti-American here because I'm sure many countries would have done it this way and I think the Americans generally conduct themselves quite ethically as certainly did in the Gulf War. But um, yeah, but the, the amount of those Iraqis that would have become prisoners of war um is probably quite high but a lot of those guys who probably would have surrendered at the first opportunity didn't have a chance to and just died so no. that you know yeah. our side um couldn't didn't lose a few more casualties yeah i think i hear things mm. like that and i just think yeah that's technology's gone too far yeah one thing i did want to chat about because i don't really know how i feel about it um and that's um back to medicine again and that's organ transplants now the church teaches that it is acceptable it's licit to have an organ transplant or to donate your organs unless they're reproductive organs which fine okay but what about resurrection of the body okay this is what (laughs) and so i kind of want to have this conversation because i don't really know um the answer um, but I, it's always confused me. Can you help me? I think I can, because we did this in my master's degree, and uh, um, it was explained to us. Um, I'm going to get this wrong. If what I say is wrong, then it's me being wrong. It's not Maryvale Institute being wrong. Um, I think the answer to that question is that actually, uh, when we talk about the resurrection of the body, it's the form, not the substance. Okay. So actually, right. science tells us that the atoms in our body, because if, if you know anything about kind of how atoms work, um, elect, I think electrons, but subatomic particles or atoms, they basically move through an object, okay? So mm-hmm. an object stays in the same form, but the atoms that make up that object are different atoms. So they're constantly moving in and moving out. And in, I think it's in seven years, okay, the atoms in the human body completely change, okay? So sure. you've yeah, known me more fine. than seven years ago. Physically speaking, yeah. if we're just atoms and molecules, the version of me that you met in, when did we meet, 2008, um, is a completely different me to the one you know now. Okay. But you look the same, Jack. I don't. I look older. <laughs> I've got less hair. I have to wear glasses all the time. And, <laughs> and I'm a bit jaded by a lot. No, not really. But the, the point is, actually, but I am the same me. But it's the it's the form of me, not necessarily the substance or the matter. So actually, when we're okay. resurrected again, we're resurrected in the same form. The resurrection of the body is about the body being in the same form, but it doesn't necessarily have to have the same matter. Because let's face it, if it was the same matter, which atoms is it going to be? Is it going to be the atoms from when you were 10, the atoms from when you were 20, 30, 40, 50, 60? If you live to be 100, there's, what, 14 different options to choose from. So actually, where the individual matter has gone isn't really the point. Okay, because the Catholic Church teaches that burial is acceptable uh, once um, people have died, and also that cremation is acceptable. Yeah, same reason. But not 
to scatter. You can't scatter the ashes. You have to keep them all together. I don't. <laughs> I've got to be honest. I've got to be honest and say I did not know that. Um, did you not? No. I mean, I because of the resurrection of the body, they want it all to be in the same place. So that is why I always get a bit confused about well if my heart is in one person and my liver is in someone else and I've got somebody else's eyeball like that's what I've never really been able to get my head around yeah but it, it, the church does say that I, I am pretty sure on this thing of sort of form rather than matter I yeah guess I mean it that, makes sense I guess the whole thing about keeping the ashes together is just about integrity and respect I guess it's not about um keeping the body in one place but if i'm honest i don't know oh yeah we're stumped we're stumped, stumped yeah. ourselves <laughs> Listen, oh lizzie's lizzie's going to her catechism <laughs> i'm just gonna see tell you what while lizzie's going to her catechism let's take a quick break because they do this in some podcasts before we go to the break i'm going to say something that i heard on another podcast last week i often listen to dan snow's history here it's absolutely fantastic um and one thing he said is um please go to the um itunes store or go to wherever you get your podcasts from and give us a five-star review because if you do that we'll move up the charts and lots of other people will see us um when i say this by the way i don't mean give his podcast a five-star review i mean give our <laughs> podcast a five-star review uh we're not doing adverts on this podcast um we're not asking for your money so if you hear adverts that's your podcast platform um firing them at you it's not us um we're making no cash from this but if you wouldn't mind just giving us a five-star review that'd be great we'll be back in a few moments Okay, so I've found the bit in the Catechism of the Catholic Church that um, talks about cremation. Um, the bodies of the dead must be treated with respect and charity in faith and hope of the resurrection. The burial of the dead is a corporal work of mercy. It honours the children of God who are temples of the Holy Spirit. Autopsies can be morally permitted for legal inquests or scientific research. The free gift of organs after death is legitimate and can be meritorious the church permits cremation provided that it does not demonstrate a denial of faith in the resurrection of the body oh yeah i've heard that bit but it doesn't talk about scattering or not scattering you could be wrong i could yeah. i mean it's, it's the, it'd be the first time i'd heard of it but i don't know where i know it from do you know what i mean Hmm. Oh well. Anyway, that's just something else to chat about. Yeah. If, if any of our and if any of our listeners want to get in touch and tell us uh, what they know about it, then they uh, they're very much free to do so. Absolutely. Yeah. What else should we talk about, Jack? Well, to be honest, I don't have many other burning issues. I mean, I think it, it's just a case that science, when it discovers something, it needs to think about the implications of it. The thing, I mean, one analogy I'd use is I like learning new things. I like learning computer stuff. And I like learning, um, you know, how to build things. I've recently, in the last couple of months, I've got this Raspberry Pi. They're these teeny little computers that you know yep, yep, yep. geeks mess around with. Um, I'm looking at one right now, which is being used as a file server. Um, and I, I, I sort of taught myself how to use this and how to make little circuits out of it. But then afterwards, I thought, okay, what's that actually useful for? And I kind of, at a certain point in my life, I need to separate the geeky from. Uh, what is actually useful for my family and for my mission and for something going forward. I mean, it's okay to have a hobby, but at a certain point you've got to say, you know, is this useful if you're really going to devote a lot of time to it? And I think that's the same with any discovery. You know, science has to say, well, what can we do with this and what should we do with it? And to quote the great Richard Attenborough, just because we can do something doesn't necessarily mean we should. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's lots of things within medicine that, you know ethically the church would say i mean i don't you remember the ice bucket challenge a few years oh, ago yeah. people raising money for lou garrick's disease um asl um that was for stem cell research for embryonic stem cell research and so things like that we have to be careful about as catholics that you know and i know my mum is really careful when she donates to charity she you know she will make sure that she gives clothes to a charity shop that doesn't take part in any kind of um, research that is um, counter to our faith um, so you know because obviously if we're, we're the, the embryos that they use for the stem cell research 
are um, created using IVF in vitro fertilization. Uh, the couples have a couple or a few embryos implanted into the womb. The rest are either destroyed or donated for this research. Um, and then they're again played with and, and destroyed um, as played with. That's terrible, isn't it? Um, but that's how I, that's how, that's kind of how I, I sort of see it. You know, these are innocent, we're basically playing God. We're creating lives. We're mucking about with it. Um, you know, and there's all this kind of stuff to do with um, DNA modification and stuff like that. You know, it's again, it's us playing God. Um, they're working, you know, the working on um, people having uh, DNA from like three parents and yeah. stuff because they're, you know, there's so much stuff going on in science that is absolutely terrifying. And you don't even you don't even know you don't even know and i guess for what i'd you know quite encourage the listeners to to think about is if if you're donating you know donating to charity or raising money for charity look at what they're actually doing with that money is it ethically and morally sound um or are they doing things that are potentially not in accordance with the church's teaching well one one situation i often got myself in i was a school chaplain for seven years and as a chaplain you know you often you're often seen as the person who does all the charity stuff it's not really the role of a chaplain but anyway there we go um whenever comic relief came around for those listening outside the uk um it's very bit hopeful but anyway um comic relief is something that happens every two years in the uk and comedians get together to raise money for charity it's it's always a lot of fun but people would come to me before comic relief the actual events called red nose day and they'd say so what are we doing for red nose day and i'd say nothing at all nothing. and they'd say oh why <laughs> but it's great and i'd say okay these are the things red nose day gives money to as a catholic school yeah. we can't support this and you'd feel yeah. like a bit of a, a bit of a killjoy doing that but actually you know, there are certain things they were giving money to that we just couldn't get behind. Um, so we didn't. I mean, my sister's really... Um, I remember she was looking for somewhere to, to open a bank account. She went into Santander and she was like, um, do you deal in arms? And they were like, uh, uh, she's like, OK, I'll take my business somewhere else. Do you know what I mean? So, like, you've got to kind of start to think about everything you do. When you start to take your faith seriously and the decisions you make that you might even think are quite i'm going to go shopping well which bunch of bananas am i going to buy am i going to buy the fair yeah. trade ones or am i not yeah you know orthodox serious catholics often bulk at ideas like fair trade because they think that how can i put this they think that people who are less serious about the catholic faith hide behind this kind of stuff to sort of stop themselves from having to face the more sort of uh, challenging issues, should we say. And so I think there's this weird separation in the church between left and right, you know. There are the people on the, on the right, I hate the idea of left and right, but there are people on the right who Ugh. campaign against things like abortion and euthanasia and stem cell research. And then there's the crowd on the left, you know, they do fair trade and justice and peace and so on. And it's kind of <laughs> it's seen as... Uh, you're either one or the other and actually no the the, the real catholic no. the real catholic does both yeah. you know the real catholic yeah. is um anti-abortion and buys fair trade bananas you know there's no separation Absolutely. between the two yeah yeah definitely um the other thing that i uh, i worry about sometimes with regards to scientific developments is artificial intelligence yeah now i don't know if we want to talk about that now or if we want to dedicate a whole episode to what is humanity what is a soul what is whatever or if we want to kind of get into it now but i i do worry about artificial intelligence i think it will never be sentient no but there's a concern with you know they talk about um, creating little robots to give to old people to keep them company oh, so they don't get don't lonely. Like and you're like, no. just go and sit with the old yeah, person exactly. and keep them company yourself. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the um, big problem with artificial intelligence is the sort of Skynet scenario of will artificial intelligence probably <laughs> get to the point where it takes over. And uh, I yeah. think, I, I personally don't think God will allow that to happen, but I think the scientists need to be extremely careful in what they're doing and put fail-safes in place. I'm sure the scientific community is all over that. Um, I hope they are anyway. I mean, there are ethics committees involved with everything. So going back to my pharmacy days, if you had a clinical trial for anything, you know, um, there would be ethics committees that look at the procedures and, and check to see 
um, that everything was above board. But it's how those people on those committees inform their conscience that matters. I'm guessing an ethics committee now would be a lot more permissive than an ethics committee in 1965. I would imagine so. I would imagine so. There's so many difficult decisions that have to be made. I mean, you're looking at the, the corona at the moment, sort of... There was a doctor on the news last night talking about how the doctors decide who goes into intensive care and who doesn't because there was a lot of complaints about elderly people are not getting into intensive care. They're just dying in their care homes and they're sort of the doctors having to justify that saying, well, actually, if it was anything other than Corona, we wouldn't put them in intensive care anyway because their bodies aren't capable of dealing with that kind of trauma. And Doctors have to make very difficult decisions and pharmacists have to make very difficult decisions. You know, I remember finance committees, you've got an expensive medication. You can't give it to everybody that needs it. How do you choose who gets it? And then at what point does life... Oh, just get. I'm going on a mad one now, no, Jack. This is totally though. in my wheelhouse. Um, but, you know, and how how do you decide where to draw lines as well sometimes because obviously if someone gets an infection you give them an antibiotic fine um but then you get to the point where they're in an accident and you put them on a life support machine and someone has to decide whether or not to turn them off you know and medicine is everything in between that spectrum like and everything is a decision everything is um an ethical and moral decision and i think sometimes a lot of people are ill-equipped. As I say, if you haven't informed your conscience about what is the right thing to do in any given situation, it's very hard to know, especially with an ageing population and, you know, people having to sign do not resuscitate forms and that means withdrawing medicine actually means withdrawing food so people are starving to death. There's just so much going on out there that just terrifies me. And it's really hard. It's really hard to be a Catholic in that situation. And the problem is in a lot of these situations, it's a big grey area. I mean, there's no there's yeah. no clear right decision. I mean, the issue we've I mean, if we've only got a few intensive care beds, well, if we don't have enough intensive care beds in your last intensive care bed, you've got a 35 year old mother of two or you've got an 80 year old. Um, it's pretty obvious which one you're going to put in the intensive care bed. But the problem is. But you say that. But Captain Tom Moore, who's 99, has just raised, I don't know, £15 million for the NHS. There you go. So can you really say that an eight-year-old is less valuable than a 35-year-old? You can't. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I love him, by the way. Can I just say? I'm totally obsessed with him. (laughs) Yeah, he's pretty cool. cool. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. And there's always this chance for for God to just flip the script and say, actually, you know what? If you let that 80 year old live, then I'm going to do more with the last five years of her life than with the last 60 years of the 35 year old's life. So, yeah, I mean, there's, you, you never know. I mean, this is the problem. You're, and this is why, as Catholics, we say life is cherished from conception to natural death. We don't get to choose to end it early because actually where there's life, there's beauty and there's hope, even if the yeah. quality of that life seems diminished to us. I think it's fair to say we're out of time because we're trying to keep it under the hour mark, aren't we? And we're not far off that. But we were recording ourselves for five minutes chat about nonsense before we started. But anyway, Um, we are. What are we going to do in the next one? Because we've got a plan, haven't we? We did well. um, Talk because we're talking about um, sort of the dignity of human life. I think we were going to move on to theology of the body. Am I right? So yeah. So we'll be talking about that a little bit. Yeah, Theology of the body, um, very interesting topic. Um, it's probably worth saying now, theology of the body is not just about sex. It's far, far, far nope. wider than that. And it's actually a very, very, yep. uh, very, very beautiful, very rich teaching. Pope John Paul the Great at his best. Um, so tune in for that one. We try and do these every couple of weeks um, in this time of lockdown. It'll probably be a little bit less than a couple of weeks, I would guess. Um a while ago, Lizzie, by the way, we said that at the end of every podcast, we'd have a what's been feeding you lately section. So is there anything that oh, you've yeah. read or listened to lately that's really helped you that you'd like to recommend to our listener? Um, I totally put you on the spot, though. I should have given you a bit of a run you up. You did. Yeah. You totally. What, what have you been reading or listening to? I'm reading uh, a book called. Um, oh, what's it called? Uh <laughs> 
Frank Merck and Dante engaging a new generation because because I'm starting my job in youth ministry in uh, just over two weeks, by the way. Um, I am reading a lot of youth ministry books and that's a really, really nice one. So I quite like that. Excellent. Mm. Say it again. I might try it's and read it. Engaging a new generation by Frank Merck and Dante. I don't know how to Merck pronounce. I don't know how to pronounce that last name. M E R C A. Have you put the put the link in the show notes? Yeah, I absolutely will. I'll put an Amazon link in there so people can have a look. Sweet. Um, have you got anything? You don't have to. Do you know what has been keeping me sane? It's been my sewing. Oh. I've been making a dress, um, and there's something really peaceful about making stuff and just kind of. Um, so actually, no, nothing out of the ordinary with regards to faith stuff, but just creation, creative stuff. That's been kind of really good for my soul lately. Yeah, yeah. excellent. I know that sounds weird, but it, it has. Cool. <laughs> I think it's your turn to lead us in prayer. Yeah. Um, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We come before you, Lord, in this time of trouble and suffering and fear, knowing that you have the answers to everything. All the conundrums that we've discussed today, all those problems created by humanity's um, desire and thirst for knowledge, just at the very beginning in the garden, we were tempted by the tree of knowledge and we still strive to be godlike in everything that we do have mercy on us lord um have compassion on us and help us to understand that only you are god and that we must trust in you that we can trust in you and that you will pour out your blessings upon us in all things in sickness and in health in times of peace and in times of war. Pour out your blessings on the scientists, particularly at the moment who are looking into vaccines and treatments for coronavirus, that they may make some significant steps forwards so that we may get back to living as a community, a community of love, that we can share your love with each other. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, glory be to the Father, and to the, and Son, to the Son, and to the and Holy, to the Holy Spirit. Spirit, as it was in the beginning, beginning is now, and ever, ever shall be, world without end. Amen.